to find the words of my text and the portion of God's word that I read out of Jeremiah 32, namely verse 39. And there we read God's word as follows. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. Thus far. Well, beloved, that is the result of all that the Lord suffer stands for. That's the application. That's subjective. What you saw here this morning is objective. That's the grace. The Christ and all he has done for you. He died for you. He rose again. And now he lives ever to pray for you so that through the Holy Ghost he may apply his cross, his blood to your life. And the application of that is enumerated in my text. The background of this text is most miserable. The background of this text is most miserable. That is, I have reference to one of the most miserable periods of the Church of Jesus Christ on the earth. So bad that finally the Lord, who is very long-suffering, full of forbearance, full of mercy and pity, was finally satiated with the behavior of his people. The princes and the nobles, the judges and the priests, and the king were all corrupt. Israel first and Judah second. I have reference to the days of Jeremiah just before the final accident, the final going into captivity, the accident out of the land of the fathers. It was so horrible that even God's people despaired. Even Jeremiah despaired. He despaired. He gave up. He had to have, it was necessary that God gave Jeremiah a sign so that he might not give up. Because when the crowds and the multitudes were taken away cruelly by the soldiers of the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian. In that period, and among that people, there were God's people, and they had to be comforted. They needed comfort. And therefore, Jeremiah, who gave up, it was so bad that the, the one preacher that was preaching the truth was jailed in the prison of the court of King Zedekiah. 
He was embalmed. And somebody came to him in prison and said to him, Will you buy a piece of land? And he thought about that. Buy a piece of land. At this time, when everything is lost, when the Chaldeans are covering the Holy Land like grasshoppers, and while the temple is burned up, and the royal palace destroyed, and the walls of Jerusalem laid low, and when we all go to a foreign country and become a slave people, now you come to ask me, will you, piece of buy, will you please buy a piece of land? And not only that, but be sure that there are all witnesses there and that you write it down on a de- and make a deed and a transfer of deed and put it in an earthen vessel. Then he picked up courage. That's of the Lord, he said. That shows that we're going to come back. In that time, under the inspiration of the Almighty, Jeremiah gave this beautiful testimony, which I have chosen for application of the Lord's Supper. And no doubt you will agree with me when the theme of the text is the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift. And then in the first place, I point you to its content. In the second place, to its operation. And in the third place, to its beauty. The beauty of that gift. The content is one heart and one way. Now both are figurative speech because it has absolutely nothing to do with your actual heart. Nothing. It's a simile. Your heart is nothing else but a gland and a muscle, a pump to pump blood. And because it is so central and centrally important in your physical makeup, the Lord uses it for a, for a figure. Because what the Holy Spirit means has nothing to do with your heart, not at all, not your actual heart. And the word way is also pure figure. We have school streets around our house and main street. They are ways. And because of the meaning of our ways and roads and streets and highways, because of their actual meaning, which has nothing to do with what the Holy Spirit means here, nothing at all, 
because of the meaning of these things in their own sphere, the Lord uses them as a simile, something similar, as it is in the natural with the heart and the natural with the way and road and, and highway and street. So the Lord wants to tell us something spiritual. You find the same use of the figure in many, many places. Especially the word hard, but also way. I think about equally. Hundreds and hundreds of times you find the word way and road and ways and pathways. And another word, conversation, that is the same thing. Conversation. That is a, a couple of hundred years ago. Now it means that you are talking together. That's not a meaning at all. Conversation in the old English means the same as way. The expression of your life. You find these in many other places. One striking, one striking text, which I want to uh, read to you, is Ezekiel 11, verse 9, 19. And I will give them one heart. They have the same idea. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I'll take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. And exactly the same idea in New Testament language in Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The moment you talk about the to will and the to do, you talk about the heart and the way. Same thing. Now what is it that the Holy Ghost compares to your pump, your gland, your muscle here that is always bringing the blood through your whole system. What particularly does he have in mind? Have in mind? The heart, out of the heart, are the issues of life, says the Bible. It certainly must mean something like this. The very well, the very well of your life. Because that's what it is in the natural. You cut a man's heart out and then you have a cause. There is no more life. And out of that heart, by a, a living, moving heart, a normal heart, the, the life-giving blood goes through the whole system. I don't know how many miles of arteries and veins that are in your system. And then that, that continual circuit, out and in, out and in. How many times a day and how many times a year, how many times during your whole lifetime? Now then, there is an issue in your natural heart, issue. There are any amount of issues, and they divide and divide again, a tremendous lot of issues which constitute your life. Out of the heart are the issues of life. So, I think that the meaning of heart is, the spiritual meaning is your life. 
the very seat of your life. But that's not all. Because the question comes, what is the quality of that life? You find many, many, many tests that speak of the heart. And then invariably, invariably, it talks about your conduct, your ethics. And so the heart in Scripture means the life of man from the point of view of ethics. It is the ethical center of your life. When, when proceeded good and bad. Good and bad has to do with your heart. First of all with your heart. Not with your face, your mouth, your behavior. Not at all. You can be very sadly mistaken. I remember a man, it was a rough expression that I made, but I said it anyhow, he looked like the devil. And I saw him first, I felt a terrible repulsion. He was a member of the school board, far from here, you don't know him. I said, he looks like the devil. What a devilish look. Those eyes and that face. He was one of the nicest men. When I came in the school board and served with him in the committee, we were on a committee together and I met him. He was one of the nicest men I ever met. You can't go by the face. Likewise, I remember a woman. I remember a woman, woman that was so sweet. So sweet. Like velvet. And so pious that members of the church said, when I go home after seeing that woman and listening to her, then I go home crying. And I say, oh God, I'm not a Christian. I can never be a Christian. If that is Christianity, then if I am a Christian, how far, far am I away from good conduct? So sweet. And she was the cause that 14 members of the church left. She rejoiced in breaking up the church. And she really revealed herself that she really was. You can't go by outward behavior, beloved. Don't be fooled by a smile or by a warm hand clasp. You may take to your bosom a snake. That's the way we are. That's why the Lord always talks about the heart. The Lord doesn't look at the face. Literally you find that. When it says in the Bible that he doesn't accept the person of man, it says literally in the, in the Bible there he doesn't accept the face of man. The Lord doesn't take any stock in your face at all. Not even in your actions, first of all. He doesn't judge your actions as such. That's why, of course, 
a judge is such a terrible predicament because all we can judge is actions and words. And that's why desperately the judges are always trying to find a motive. Always trying to find what is the motive. Why did you do as you did? And often they find out that actions that first look funny and strange are wonderful when they know the right motive. With heart, the, ma- the Lord means and the sense of the Spirit is you, the real you. You are not your hand flat. Flat of Matthew. Ha. Very sorry you ever saw you. That can happen very well. Come again. Oh no. You can't trust that. You can't trust a smile. There may be really, uh, in, in little things too. Children too. Although they are less hypocritical than we are. You learn to be a hypocrite as you grow up. Children usually are rather outspoken. That's why Christ, uh, uh, compares one that enters the kingdom of heaven to a little child. It takes time before a child begins to do like we always do. We put our best foot forward. Because we are desperately afraid that they will know us exactly as we are. I mean exactly as we are. Literally. And conclusively and comprehensively. We're scared of that. We don't like that. So we cover up. We all cover up. But the Lord speaks about the heart. When the Bible says that all things are naked and open before his face, then he has in mind the heart. The heart is open and naked. The Lord knows exactly better than we ourselves. It's happened to me already that I was on a certain course and I finally saw my purpose and I dug back into the root, my motive and intention, and I was heartily ashamed before myself. People didn't know that. But before myself, I noticed the snake-like motive I had. When I finally saw the purpose, and I was scared of the purpose, I went back to the motive and the intention of the heart. And I was really sorry. That's the heart. They are the real you. They are you from an ethical point of view. Ethical has to do with, well, the word ethic means to do. Doing. They are you from an ethical point of view, either to the good or to the bad. Now what is the way? The way, beloved, is the heart in motion, the heart in operation. The heart cannot talk. I mean actual speech. And the heart cannot plow a field. The heart cannot walk three miles an hour. 
The heart cannot make a drawing or figure out a sum. The heart is behind all that is called will and mind. And under that will you have desire and longing and yearning. And behind the mind you have plans and counsels and plots and schemes. Behind it all is the heart. Out of the heart are all the issues of life. And those issues, they are your way. The heart in operation. Now, it certainly was necessary for Judah and Israel to give them a new heart and a new way because the old one was a, the old one was a mess. The heart of Judah and Israel, that is the princes and the nobles and the kings and the priests, the fathers and the mothers and the children, was a mess. Their heart was evil. And you could see it in their way because, as the context says, they bowed before Baal. That's why the houses had to be burned, whose roof, upon whose roof, they had worshipped Baal. Even the land that you tread on can curse you. A very city, a village, an acre, a house, a woman. A man can be a curse to you because of what you have done and condemn you. That's why it had to be purged by the fire of the heathen. The, the heathen had to trample Israel and Judah and their houses and their palaces and their temple, Jerusalem and all the villages had to be destroyed to purge it from the evil heart and way of the church. Not as though there was no principle, there was no little principle or remnant left, of course. But largely, the church had corrupted its way. They turned their back instead of their face, says the Lord, to me. That's why I sent for the Chaldeans and for Babylon to destroy them. Now, that heavenly gift, a new heart, and a new way cannot be earned. That's emphasized. You can't earn it. I cannot tell you the way how to earn it. Because it is not to be earned. It is once earned and merited by Jesus Christ so much the Lord has identified that new heart of the church so intimately to Jesus that he is really the new heart, the new heart of the new humanity. Christ is the heart of the whole church, even as he is the foundation. That's why Christ is in our heart. That's why Paul said, he is within you. And our sanctification assumes a certain structure in Christ. And when he says, touch yourself, don't you know yourself that Christ is in you? Unless you are reprobate, 
Paul says that. And the same way with ways, the heart and operation. You can't earn it. Because again, it is Jesus. The outgoing of that new, beautiful, heavenly, divine, glorious, new heart is also Christ. Is all Christ. That's why he says, I am the way. I am the way. You have no new heart. You have no new way. I am both. And I bring you unerringly, faultlessly, to heaven, to the Father. It can, you cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You cannot acquire it. You can't acquire a new heart and a new way. You can't. Never was anyone that could acquire a new heart and a new way. There is only one way, and that is this. God gives it. It's the heavenly gift. That's why I made it my theme. I preached once before on this text, and I had an entirely different division. I emphasized something else. But I think the heart of the text, I see that now, after about 20 years, that the heart is this. It is the heavenly gift. That's the main idea of the text. As we say in Holland, it lifts her boven up. It lifts her boven up. If you read the text. I will give them a new heart and a new way. It's a gift. The gift of grace. And the fulfillment, if you please, the fulfillment of that gift was anticipatory in the Old Testament, but it was fulfilled in the New Testament. I tell you, my text was fulfilled in the first place when Jesus came on earth. There was the new heart of the new humanity. When that little baby was laid down in the manger because there was no place for them in the end, when the Christ of God lay there in the manger, you saw in that manger the new heart of humanity. Outside of the Christ, both in the old and in the new, there is no new heart. It was all corrupt. The Lord looked down from heaven, looked upon mankind, if there were any that did good, and he saw that all the imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. And if you say to me, yeah, that's all right, but Noah was there, then I would answer you, Noah was exactly like the others were, except that the Lord gave him a new heart. He found grace in God's sight. God gave him a new heart. And he gave that new heart, and that was really a little bit of Jesus. In the dispensation of hope in the Old Testament. That's first of all. But that's not enough, because this is subjective. That Christ 
with all he did in 33 years or more, the full Christ coming, uniting himself with us, taking out of the womb of Mary our flesh and our blood, clothing himself with our, our whole human nature and all our guilt and all our sin, he went on suffering, dying, burying, uh, raising, ascending to the right hand of God, and that whole Jesus Christ came to us in the Holy Ghost on Pentecost. There you have the New Testament significant content of the phrase of my text, I will give them a new way and a new heart. In New Testament language is this, Jesus and all he stands for in your heart by the Holy Ghost. That's a new heart. Now the operation. That is really beautiful. The fear of the Lord. Read the text. I'll give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. The operation of a new heart and a new way is the fear of the Lord. You know, the fear of the Lord is much richer than the church realizes. In all my study and in all my reading and all my practical work in the church, I find out that the fear of the Lord is underestimated. It is of profound importance, the fear of Jehovah. Let me begin by telling you that the fear of Jehovah is one of the expressions of the love of God from a particular point of view. But I tell you that fear of Jehovah and the love of God are very close together. Let me begin by a homely example. You find it often, you find it often compared to a little child in his attitude and his feeling for his father and mother. A child fears its parents. Now you must well understand that fear has two connotations in the Bible. There is one text where it says, and without in hell will be the fearful. And there is another text that says, blessed is he that continually fears. And the very same word is used, phobos. Phobos is used for the fear of the slave for his master and the, and the horror for those that go to hell, as well as the fear that is pure and clean. You have to make out by the connection what it means. And I asked one of our theologians, why is it that the word fear is used, and one of you was present when I asked that. 
I asked our, our leader, what, why is the word fear used? Because not very shortly ago. Why do we find the word fear for that horrible, for that horrible attitude that really is hatred? The fear that is used in the negative sense in the Bible is really hatred. You know what it is when, when, when a, when a slave lies on his knees and that terrible sharp whip is cutting and lacerating his body of that, of that strong taskmaster and he comes beating him with his whip. He fears. But the quality of that fear is hatred. Oh, it is good. Well, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Why the same word? And the answer was, because in a formal sense, they are alike. They are both this. Trembling. The trembling. Only the one is a trembling of ecstasy. A trembling of ecstasy. Pleasurable, enjoyable, more than all the pleasures of the world. You tremble in your fear of Jehovah, your blessed Father. And the others tremble too. And that's the reason why the Holy Ghost uses that word for both experiences. You have more words like that. Because it is a formal likeness. And the context must show you which one is you, the negative or the positive. Now the positive, listen to a few texts that speaks of the fear of the Lord. Imagine, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. Now wisdom, mind you, wisdom is that virtue by which you always use the right means and you walk on the right way to the attainment of the highest purpose, the glory of God's name. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the virtue to always aim at God's glory and use everything to attain that only single purpose. Now the fear of the Lord, mind you, lies at the very root of that. See how important it is? And it's very natural. When I told you a while ago that it is akin to love, if you ask a child of God, why do you always subject this and that and use this, this and that and walk in that direction always? And the, the final question is always, God, 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 why? Well, man, because I love him. Now you see, it is a phase of the love of God from a particular point of view, I said a while ago. And that particular point of view is this. It is the love of God colored, colored by your impression of His majesty and greatness and glory. That cause, causes that love of God in your heart to tremble. Remember how Isaiah said that the Lord, the Lord loves those that tremble for his word. That tremble for his word. That word of God is the end of all arguments. 
When you convince them with the word of God, they have no more gainsaying. That's the end of the talk. And they tremble. Yes, that's right. That's my God that speaks. I tell you, the fear of God is in the heart of God's people that have the new way and the new heart. It is through the fear of God that from morning till night, whenever you think on the living God, there is an echo of the spirit of adoption that says, Abba, beloved Father. Look at some of the other texts. You see the importance. The fear of the Lord is clean. And whatever may come to an end, when you come on the end of time, the fear of the Lord is enduring forevermore. In heaven you will have the fear of God. Only in a perfect degree, the whole heaven shall all tremble in the fear of the living God when they see his greatest like never before. They all tremble, but there will be a trembling of ecstasy. Don't you ever have that when you hear the most beautiful music? And now, I mean now in a carnal sense, in the in the sense of the flesh, when you when you hear a most beautiful, I mean an excelling melody. And if you are inclined to be a man or a woman that likes good food, then you have the most delicious food. I mean now. The superabounding, and now in the spiritual sense, that heavenly trembling of seeing that glory of God will go on and on and on unto all eternity. Better, the fear of the Lord is better with a little than a great treasure. The fear of the Lord with a little, the widow have barely enough to keep soul and body together. It's far better than the millionaire in the church. Another one. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The more you have the fear of the Lord in your heart, the more sure you are of yourself, of your state, condition, you're approaching with the risen Lord. More confidence. Confidence is this. When you stand on a, you know, like we used to do as boys, Holland is full of water, canals, ditches, it's all water. Whatever you step is water. That freezes over, and the, when it was about that thick, then we purposely would break it in pieces of about that big. And then we'd walk, and those, and of course, the moment you step on it, and then on the road, and yes, the dangerous job that we did. But don't you see, when you step on, on a thing like that, you are not sure of yourself? Or take another figure, quick time. When you feel that your foot is sinking, you quickly, you see, you get a shock. No, but when you stand on a rock, then you're relaxed. And that's the idea. When you have the fear of the Lord that comes out of a new heart and a new way, which is one, one there means, of course, simplicity. 
Your heart, is, your life is not divided in different provinces. But if you let the light shine on this fact, that means the, the newness and the oneness of that way and heart. If you have, if you have that, you have the fear of the Lord and that gives you confidence. And then finally, if you please, that's beautiful. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Of eternal life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of very eternal life. In the same measure that you tremble in ecstasy when you think of Jesus, of God, of the Bible, of his marvelous work, when you tremble, the more you have that, the more you taste of eternal life. And you know what eternal life is? It is to know God, to know Jesus, and to know him is to love him. Now that is beautiful. That's the only thing that's beautiful. You know why? It says in the text, for the good of them. There you have the beauty of the heavenly gift. For the good of them. Let's look at that one. Now goodness is God. It's one of God's own virtues. His whole being as it is lived by both Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. His whole being even into the unsearchable depths of the Godhead if you go down to the very, if you could go down to the very bottom of the Godhead, all you would find in him is good, 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 goodness, goodness, lovable goodness. No matter what he does. We have a psalm in the old country, and I remember as a child singing it. And even as a child, I was thrilled by it. I remember when I heard him sing and sang myself. His foot, all what thing humble thou. I'll translate, I'll translate it for you. It is good, all what his hand commanded. It sent fast upon the truth. Goodness is God. Does it mean that all things will go your way? God forbid. If things had gone my way, beloved, I think I would have been of all people most miserable. If I look back now, and if I had received what my, what my wicked and wandering hard desire, I would have been gone. God be praised that things did not go according to my wishes. No, but it means this. That is the beauty of having a new heart 
and a new way, one heart and one way, that in operation is the trembling of the fear of God. The beauty of that is this. If you have that, then if there are a million devils against you, and a million haters and enemies, and sicknesses and diseases and accidents, in the midst of it all, you rise up the conqueror over all of them. Because they all work together for your good. That's the meaning. For the good of them. Not according to my flesh. But whatever happens in your life and your children is good for you. Because the children are not included. It is for the whole generation and their children forever. That's the beauty of the Christian, of the Christian, one way and one heart, with the fear of Jehovah, which is the love of God, then you rise conqueror over sin and guilt and death, over the curse and the devil and your enemy. Everything is in your favor because God is in your favor. Because he loves you as he proved by the very gift of one heart, simple and new. One way, a new way, simple and new. Amen. Blessed Father, ever give the church that one heart that one way, which is a figurative way of saying, give them Jesus. Give them Jesus Christ, which is the same thing as saying, give them thine own heart. Thy heart of love, and they shall tremble in their ecstasy, and bless thee forever. Amen.